it's wonderful to have our friends here from, they um, also from South Africa uh, originally, like Deborah and I are, and um, God has blessed us to have them here. We've known them for many, many years, ministered in different place, places of the world together, and uh, been on an incredible journey. They planted a church just out of Washington, D.C. in Leesburg and have handed it over now fully translocal. So we have the privilege of having them here today to minister to us. Everything that they, uh, on the last few nights is on a video and you can watch them over the week and that will be an amazing thing. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome them up here. Michelle, would you like to say something? And, and Ken, would you like to come up here on the stage? Let's give them a warm welcome. Good morning. It is such a privilege to be here. We, are, we just love this place. You know, God's given us such an incredible love for Canada. It's, and this is probably one of our favorite places in the world. You know, and all those questions that you have to give, the security questions, on all these things on your account, it says, where do you want to retire? And of course, retirement's not in our plan, but our answer is always Vancouver. <laughs> okay, what I did want to share with you this morning, um, just briefly, is that as I've been praying this weekend, I had a picture of Vancouver Island, and I saw many cracks in it, very many cracks. And we know cracks speak of brokenness and things like that. But, you know, we are the solution. In that scripture Mike read, one phrase it said, and you, you, you will live in the land I've given you. So my question to you is, is this the land God has given you? Well, if this is the land God has given you, we live from the life of Christ in us. And as we do that, we permeate the society. As we do that, we bring healing to those cracks on the island. Because we are the solution in Christ. In ourselves, yeah, maybe not so much. But in Christ, and that's who we are. That is our identity. That is who we are. And... Um, a friend, we've got an intercession team when we travel, um, and our team is, we're very privileged to have it. They're not only from our church, they're actually from quite a number of places around the world. And um, we always let people know where we're going. And I received this this morning, which I just thought was so encouraging. Um, this lady writes, I had an encounter with God this morning that I felt was pretty significant. She was walking in this picture, walking into a field that was kind of rocky and dirt. It was a construction scene. Men and women were sitting all around, and beside them was a yellow hat, a construction hard hat. Ken came walking into the field wearing a yellow hard hat. As he looked around, he shook his head in unbelief. Um, maybe, maybe it's unbelief. He said, what are you guys doing? The sun is up. It's a new day. Get to building. Don't focus on what you don't have. I ask the Lord what you don't have, but a focus on what you do have to get up and to the building. And the Lord God had promised to provide. Sorry, this thing is. The Lord God promised to provide. People began to get up and put their yellow hats on. And I feel that's so significant. With the cracks that I saw, it's like God is he's, he's calling the workforce, which is all the people. And I just felt that some people feel disqualified 
maybe because of their past, maybe because of issues in their life or whatever the case may be. But when we are children of God, that's who we are. And we are not disqualified. If any of us pick up that yellow hat, no matter what part we play, it impacts the kingdom. And we are there to serve the Lord. I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's a real privilege to be here. And uh, just on behalf of Michelle and I, we thank you for the privilege. We thank Mike and Debbie and the rest of the leaders. And I also want to thank you as a church for all that you do for the equip. I really do. Uh, You people do a lot of hard work behind the scenes that not many people see, but you facilitate something in ministering to the lives and the hearts of people. So thank you. Thank you as a church. Thank you for all the hard work you do. And Andy, I love all your new shirts that you have on the video. It was wonderful. And I can join the choir. I can't sing, but if you have a pretty face, you said I can jump. So thank you, Andy. I hope you meant that to me. Thank you. Where are you? There you are. It's wonderful. Thank you very much. This morning what I want to do is I want to speak, and I trust that the Lord will stir your hearts. We've had the privilege of this weekend on speaking on just our position in Christ, if I can put it that way, who we are because of His grace upon our lives, and then what He does in us and through us, particularly in the gifts of the Spirit. But this morning I want to talk about being encountered with the giver of the gifts. To have an encounter with the giver of the gifts. I stand here because of the grace of God. Because by His grace, He encountered my life. By His goodness, I've had three major encounters with God. And as a result of His work in my life and my heart, I have the privilege of standing here. And I know that it is nothing to do with me. It's all to do with what He has done. And if you read church history, and if you read history, you see people like Wesley and Finney, who do so desire God, but they had to have an encounter with God for something to change and happen. Wesley and his brother and what they call the Holy Club got together very often, spent time in prayer and fasting. But it wasn't until he met a Moravian that something shifted in his heart. And he said later on, God touched him in a way that his heart became liquid and it changed Wesley. Finney, this great, great lawyer, very powerful lawyer, very rich lawyer at the time, just felt a stir in his heart. And one day he went for a walk in the woods, and as he was walking in the woods, God encountered him in such a way that he said, God, if you don't stay your hand, I will die. It changed him forever. And we read in history all that God did through that incredible man, very, very bright, very intelligent man. And you can go on through history, even in the Word of God, a man called Moses. The Bible says this man called Moses, who grew up under Pharaoh in Pharaoh's palace, 
he had it in his heart to deliver his people. And one day he walked out and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And the Bible said he looked this way and he looked that way. You go read it. And then he killed the Egyptian and he buried him. But he didn't do a very good job because his hand must have stuck out of the sand because his body was found a little bit later. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, he did this because he thought the people would realize that he had come to set God's people free. But as a result, he ran and he hid. And we know the story for 40 years, on the, in a sense, of the backside of the desert. And one day, God encountered this man through the burning bush experience that we all know so well. It changed the man forever. And so what was in his heart, he had to have an encounter with God in order to do what was already in his heart. You understand what I'm saying? And folk, I feel like there's a pregnancy over your church. I said it on Friday. And a pregnancy means that God's about to bring something to birth, either a promise in your life, a promise over the church, or something that is longing inside of you. But that does not come to birth and fulfillment without God encountering you. We cannot do what God's called us to do unless he encounters us or we encountered by him. It's an absolute impossibility. It's an impossibility. That's all I want to say. It's an impossibility. We cannot change where we live. We cannot have impact where we live. We cannot touch people's hearts or lives unless God encounters my life and your life. And I pray this morning that God would stir you to have a hunger for an encounter with him. And that doesn't mean we stop and do nothing and just wait for it. We get on with what he's called us to get on. But a longing develops inside us and say, God, there has to be more. God, there has to be more. God, there has to be more. And God is preparing you for an encounter. That will change you, will change everything about you. Something will explode inside of you, either through his word, which I call a truth encounter or a power encounter. And there's an explosion that it happens over you, inside you. And when that happens, things begin to change, change radically. And once you've tasted that, you cannot settle for business as usual. It's an impossibility. You cannot go business as usual. Something shifts and changes. There's a revelation that breaks forth in your heart, inside of you. There's an explosion that happens. It changes everything about our thought life. It changes my worldview. It changes how I see him. It changes how I see people and the way I view people and the heart. I pick up the heart of God for people. It brings a credible inward change. That's what it begins to do. And we begin to put things right in our life because God has done something in us. I have a half-brother, Gary. We grew up in a home. As I said, that we were not, we never went to church. We never did anything. My biological father died when I was three or four years old. He was an alcoholic and he gassed himself in a motor car. My mother got remarried to a man. He was a very hard man in a sense of, I now understand I'm not dishonoring him. He was a bit of a, a domineering man, very strict. We as kids, when we sat around the dining room table to have dinner or lunch, breakfast, we were not allowed to speak. Kids were to be seen and not heard. It was that type of environment. 
and I will come back to that story a little later. And then my mom and my stepdad had a child, my half-brother Gary. He's 10 years younger than me. And when my mom died, my mom and my stepfather divorced, and a little later she got liver cancer, and unfortunately she died. I was about 18 years old. I had to raise my 15-year-old kid, sister. But my half-brother went to stay with his, his father, my stepfather. And unfortunately, the lifestyle didn't help him on what my stepfather did. And so he developed a way of life. And when my stepfather passed away, Gary was 18 years old, and he started to bulk hotels because he got kicked out of the home he was in. And he started to, what it means is you stay in a hotel, and then you don't pay for it, you run. And he got caught. This was back in South Africa. And he got put in jail, and that's when I found out about it. Went and bailed him out. He came and stayed with us. I wasn't saved yet. And then he moved away, and then I got radically saved. And then I went, and he got caught again, and I went to visit him in prison down in a place called Kronstadt, and I just go visit him. And he started to ask me questions because he could see the change in me. And one day I went to visit him, and the commandant, the leader of the prison, called me in and said, your brother's not here, he's escaped again. <laughs> and I, I got back in the car, and my wife and kids were with me. And I bowed my head, and I said, God, my brother's life on this earth is maybe not going to mean much, but I pray. Rescue him. Rescue him. Years went by. One day I'm driving down a highway in Durban, and I see somebody hitching, and I look in the rearview mirror, and it's my brother. I turned around, and when he picked him up, he didn't know it was me. And as he opened the car door and looked, and he saw it was me, he could see the shock on his face. I said, Gary, it's good to see you. I took him to my house. <laughs> we were in full-time youth ministry at the time. Uh, so we were full-time with a church, Aldred's church, down in Durban. And I knew that he was staying in a hotel and he was going to bulk this hotel. Now I'm in a quandary. I don't know what to do. Do I give him back to the authorities? What do I do? So I said, Gary, I need to go do some stuff, see some people. I came back. And there was a Tuesday evening. I sat down and I said, Gary, let me tell you what has happened to me. And I began to share my testimony with him, how God had encountered my life. He sat there. He didn't say a word. <clears throat> he went to bed that night. The next morning he woke up. He came to me and he said, Ken, I need to hand myself back. I need to write a letter to everybody that I've wronged and stolen from. God took hold of his life in the night somewhere. Because when God takes hold, why am I telling that story? Because when God takes hold of your life, you begin to put things right. It's called godly repentance. Because you change inside. You have an encounter with the creator. The one who formed us and fashioned us. And he handed himself back. We took him back to the Westville prison. And we handed it him in. They said, oh, we've been looking for you. It changes people. A God encounter changes us. Many people 
They're not unusual people when we read about them, when we read about church history, or when we read in the Word of God, which we're going to turn to now. It's not that they're special people and we less special people. They were ordinary people that had been counted by God. They had their idiosyncrasies, but when God encountered them, the love that developed in their hearts triumphed everything else in their life. That's what begins to happen. We become the givers of the very thing that transforms us, God himself. I'll say that again. When God encounters your life, you become the giver of him who has transformed you, God himself. Because he comes to live inside you. Passion gets to get born out of the encounter with God. That cannot be put out. No matter what happens, you cannot put this passion out. Life will come and life will go, and you'll go through your ups and your downs and your valleys. I'm not saying you went through tough times, but the passion that's been put in your heart will not depend on the circumstances around you because you have an encounter with the living God. It's an explosion that happens inside you. It's an explosion. We cannot treat it lightly. We've got to learn to shepherd it in our lives, and we've got to learn how to outwork it in our lives. So we can't live from one encounter to the next, but the encounter shifts something in us to enable us to begin to live something out and to put things in place that we need to put things in place. They are wonderful. Encounters are wonderful. But they are also a death experience. You'll never be the same again. Let me come back to another encounter that I was by the grace of God to have. When I grew up, I often wondered what my earthly father was like. I had a longing deep in my heart. I always said, I wonder what my dad was like. I had a stepfather, but as I told you about him, but I said, I wonder what my dad was like. It never left me. I got incredibly saved at the age of 33 by the grace of God. We were in full-time youth ministry. We were about a year down in Cape Town. And one day, Michelle and I were visiting a young lady. A young lady came to visit us. And I asked her a question, and I said, how was your relationship with your dad? And she told us. And then she got up to leave, and Michelle walked with her to the door. And as she walked out the door, she turned back and she put her head in the door like this and she said, Ken, by the way, how was your relationship with your dad? And then Michelle and I walked to to her car. And as she said that, I was overcome because everything inside me started to rise to the fore. That question triggered years of me wondering what my earthly father was like. I was 34 years old. I called up into a little ball, and I started to weep and weep and weep and weep. And what happened was I felt like the Father heart of God come over me. I felt the Father heart of God come over me. And it changed me again. It was an encounter that I had that changed, even though I was a Christian, it changed the way I parented from that day on. It changed the way I husbanded from that day on. It changed the way I did things. 
And everywhere we go now, I often have people come to me and say to me, Ken, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something fatherly about you. And I know it's not me, it's not anything to do with me, it's something that God did in my heart. Because when he puts it there, you carry it. It becomes who you are. And it was an encounter for me. It was a radical encounter for me, even as a Christian. And from that day on, I never had a desire in my heart to know what my father, my biological father was. Because I fell in love with my heavenly father. And from that day on, every time I prayed, even today, Jesus has done everything for us. But I pray, Father. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Because he's my father. <laughs> I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. I felt like, even as a born-again Christian, that no matter what I did, it doesn't excuse my behavior, but I knew I was loved. That's a God encounter. <laughs> and so you die. When God encounters you, you die. It's a death experience. You'll never be the same again. Things that were of great importance in your life begin to take a secondary importance in your life. And it's not me trying hard, but it's God doing something. And just so we can stay biblical, let's turn to the Bible. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. What does this to a man? Which we're about to read, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no longer, and he's sitting in a dungeon writing this, it is no longer for, no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. It is a safeguard for you. Just let me say, folk, to encourage you, never be afraid to keep hearing the gospel. It is a safeguard for you. Never be afraid to preach the gospel to yourself every day about the amazing grace of God upon your life. It's a safeguard. Paul says, I'm not afraid to keep telling you the same things I've told you, for it is a safeguard to you. Down to verse, <clears throat> end of verse 4. If anybody thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the, people of, the, the of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. In other words, as I walk with him, there are things that I will 
come my way that will produce suffering in my life, but that's great as long as I can know Christ. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. That word perfect is complete or finished what it's called me to do. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind I'm going to repeat that. Forgetting what is behind. I'm going to repeat that. Forgetting what is behind. I'm going to repeat that. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is head, I press on to win the goal for which Christ. What makes a man that had such zeal, such intelligence, incredibly bright, had such power and authority in terms of that was given to him, by the people in charge to go around doing what he did. He did it with all his heart. And he, what makes a man say that I was this and this and this and this? Now consider that all rubbish. He had an encounter with God. Changed him. Completely changed him. Huh. And I believe God wants to encounter a number of you over the next while. I believe there's a longing in some of your hearts for that to happen. And I believe those encounters are coming. And I'm going to give some handles on how to facilitate that. And when we have an encounter, pride gets out of the way. Because Paul later said, I know a man who was taken to the third heaven. I do not know whether in the body or out the body. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he begins to talk about the surpassing greatness of the revelations that this man saw. And he's talking about himself, as I said. And he said, but I will not boast on that. But I'll boast on my weakness. Because in my weakness, he is strong. There's no place for pride when we have an encounter with God. God encounters are a gift that comes in his timing, in his purpose. We don't negotiate the terms. We don't say, God, I want an encounter, but don't let me fall on the floor. Or I want an encounter, but don't shake me. Or I want an encounter, but don't, that's, that, that tongue things. Uh-uh. We don't determine that. We just, God, we want you. Whatever you choose to bring when I encounter you or you encounter me, I will fully embrace. Because what is from you is good. It will never harm me. It's always good because your goodness knows no bounds. And to have an encounter with God or when God encounters, it never comes out of a vacuum. He begins to stir your heart and he leads you towards that. There's a stirring what led to my salvation, I was a boy of five or six years old. I only got saved at 33, so it took 28 years, but God is patient. Hallelujah. The Bible says God waited patiently for Noah to build the ark, and Noah took 120 years. I can picture God saying, well, Noah, okay, keep going. God is patient. The Bible says God waited patiently. That's what the Bible says, for Noah to build the ark. 120 years. Think about that. 
We view 20 years as a glimpse in eternity for God. When I was five or six years old and my mother had remarried, and as I said, we were kids that were to be seen and not heard. We were a very poor family. We never went to arts. We never did anything. They were struggling to make ends meet. They did all they could. And so we even at up to the age of 14, 13, somewhere around about there, we had to be in bed by 7.30, 8 o'clock. I think just with five kids in the family, it was too much for the shame. But I woke up one night, and as I woke up, I heard my stepfather and my mother talking about going to a second show driving theater where they climb in the car and go and see a movie. And uh, something inside me rose up, understanding had no religious background, never went to church, never went to Sunday school, any of that. But for some reason, I said inside me, oh God, please, please, imagine a five, six-year-old little boy who never goes out, never went anywhere. I said, God, please, please, I'll pretend I'm sleeping, but let my stepfather walk in here and let him wake me up and ask me to go to movies. For that to happen, it will be like it would have to snow in the Sahara Desert in the middle of summer. That's how much of a miracle it would have to be. I said, God, please, please, I meant it. I will do whatever you want me to do, whatever you Never pray a prayer like that. Because <laughs> he heard me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And lo and behold, he walked into my room. And he said, I pretend I was sleeping. He said, do you want to go to movies? My, it was like Christmas times 10. I was so excited. I jumped out of bed and I got in the motor car and off we went and I fell asleep. So I don't know what we saw. <laughs> but fast forward 28 years. God heard that cry. If you cry from the bottom of your heart, and that's all it needs, God. He's coming. He's coming. An encounter's coming. So it's never a vacuum. He leads you into it. The other encounter, I shared one about the Father, heart of God. I shared about my salvation. I don't go into the details of it now. I don't have time. And the other one was we had been in full-time ministry for a year. Never went to Bible school, but I fell in love with the Word, and I just read it and read it and read it and read it. And when I read it, I saw in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels, what Jesus did. And a desire developed inside me and said, oh, God, we've got to do this stuff. We've got to do this stuff. And I remember going to the person who was leading the church at the time, and I said, when are we going to do the stuff that's written in the Bible? When are we going to do this stuff? Because that's all I read. So I didn't know any other way. I'd never been taught anything else. Fast forward a year, we went on a retreat to a particular place, and at the retreat, the guy that was leading it said, anybody who's just gone into full-time ministry, can you come forward? We want to pray for you. So I looked at the guy leading the church, and I said, does that mean me? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I was very young, I'll be honest, as a Christian. He said, no, that's you and your wife. So I said to Michelle, come, that's us. I know what was going to happen. So we were walking forward, and as we got from about here to where the steps are, 
we were standing there, I was holding Michelle's hand, and two young guys were walking towards me, and they were looking at me. They didn't say anything. They didn't, any nothing. They were still walking towards me. And next thing I knew, I was on the floor behind me. Somehow I got on the floor. But I didn't get gently on the floor. I got put on the floor. And as I hit the floor, my head came up, and then my feet came up. It was like a fish out of water. It goes like this. And I said to Michelle, I'm shaking. I was shaking violently. And I said, I don't know why I'm shaking. I can't control the shaking. As much I tried to control it. I couldn't control the shaking. And my head was going up. My feet were going up. I'm just telling you what happened. And then inside me, I felt, raise your hands. So I just raised my hands. And as I raised my hands, in these three fingers, in these three fingers, yeah, I felt like somebody put me into the wall sockets, the electrical outlet and electricity went through my body. Three times I could feel that violent shape. And then inside me, that same sense, I felt stand up, but I couldn't stand. And I had been drunk in my life with wine. <laughs> so I knew what that felt like. This felt similar, but it felt wonderful. I couldn't walk, my feet just kept elapsing. So I asked Michelle, come and help me. I put my arm around her, and I got somebody else, and my, my feet were dragging. And the same thing, I just felt God say, raise your hand. And as I raised my hand, I looked over some people, and they catapulted seats back. I saw the power of God at work. It changed me. It changed me. From that day on, I could never settle for it. Less. Something, God did something yet that I said, God, I've experienced something that I know is tangible and real. I don't understand it, but I know there's something you want to show me. It was an encounter with the living God. And then over the years, he calls us to steward that encounter, steward into our life. He calls us to put banks into our life. He calls us to be faithful with what we're just doing because it begins to work that encounter out into our whole being and into our whole life. That's what he begins to do. Amen. If you're really going to impact this city, this island, it cannot be done unless God encounters you first. It's an impossibility. And it requires a whole team, not one person. That's why I'm preaching like I am this morning. To trust to put a hunger inside you. The greatest ingredient anybody can ever have is hunger. Bar none. Hunger. 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 When you're hungry, you open the fridge to eat. When you're hungry... God will come fill it. Let him develop a hunger inside you for him. Practical steps. How do we facilitate this? How do we position ourselves? First thing, spend time with God. Get some time alone with him. All right? Just you and him, wherever you need to go. And then reflect on his faithfulness in your life. Make a note of it. Write it down. Write down your personal breakthroughs. 
Write down the times you've spoken to you. Write down the times something has happened in your life that you knew it was God. Then begin to think on these things. Begin to repeatedly think on them, what I call meditate on them. Give him thanks and praise for them. But have it in front of you, in the back of your Bible that you can get to. It's important to keep it. Why? Because when time gets tough and life comes at you and impossibilities come your way, you feast yourself on what God has already done in your life, not on what he hasn't done. Because we feast ourselves on what he hasn't done, we get an offense that rises up inside us. Feast yourself on what he has done. It helps you get through that place. That's what's helped us my whole life get through the tough seasons in my life. Just feasting on what he has already done. It helps launch you into what he's going to do for you into the future. The next thing you need to do, if, if you've lost your first love, I had seasons in my life where I lost my first love. You know what I'm talking about. And if you're sitting here today and you say, God, I've lost my first love. I've lost that time when I first remember you encountered me and how much I loved you and you were everything. And then life has happened and circumstances have come at me and everything's got in the way and I've just seemed to have lost my love for you. I just, I know, I know you love me, but I just seem to have lost that connection, that love for you. I'm encouraging you, go back to the things you did at first when he first encountered you. Because Revelation said, I have this against you, you've lost your first love. Therefore, go and do the things you did at first. So whatever you did when you first got saved, go back to some of those things. For me, it was reading the Gospels. For me, it was reading books on Smith Wigglesworth and Charles Finney and Maria Woodwetter and John G. Lake. That's what stirs me. So I read those books, and I keep going back to them, even though I've read them again and again. I go back because it stirs me, because I see something of what God did through a human heart, and I say, God, you can do that again. Amen. Go back to those things that you first did. Next thing, the third thing, pray for his goodness to overwhelm you. Pray daily for his goodness to overwhelm you. And then the fourth thing, I encourage you, pray this scripture. And I'm going to read it to you. It's Psalm 86. Psalm 86. Or a similar scripture. Psalm 86, verse 11 says this. Teach me your way, O Lord. And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. Or give me singleness of heart that I might fear your name. Give me an undivided heart. This is the prayer of David. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Verse 15, you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Verse 17, give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For us, talking about the kingdom of darkness. 
Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer. And then the final thing is, sometimes you need to have hands laid on you. Because something happens in the laying of hands. Something stirs in you. Something's released in you. That's just the way God does it. It's not because of the person who lays hands on you, but something's transmitted through the laying of hands. Something of God. It's not something of the person, it's something of God. And it begins to ignite something or stir something or shift something. So that can facilitate that encounter. And so this morning, that's what we want to do. If you feel you're sitting here and you somehow something of this message has meant something to you, and you're saying, yes, I just want to have lay, hands laid on me. It's not going to be a long, it's not in. God can do something like that. That's what we want to do, It's just lay hands on you. We just want to lay hands on you and say, God, we trust in you for what's coming down the line. We trust in you for your encounter in these people's lives. We need an encounter by God.